Welcome to the Speak the Language podcast. Today we are actually doing our first podcast from the Cottonmouth Camp House and uh, Will is with me today and we've had a really fun week in camp so far. I mean, you can, I mean, what have you, what have you seen? So, I mean, I, I know you and Jordan. Oh, I've had a great afternoon every afternoon. I mean, the, the blessing was that cold front came through. So we started out the, the first afternoon with really strong winds with that front coming in, but it was cool. Uh, and next morning it was down to 44. Uh, I, we saw some two great deer from our first setup. We were actually uh, in Louisiana, where the old Mississippi River used to come through before it changed courses. It looks just like a big flat slough, and there's not many trees in there except for willows. And the the area had gotten a rain, and it had it come outside the slough bank, so to speak, and it germinated a bunch of small, a uh, bunch of young uh, cuckleburrs. And the deer love those tender cucklebur leaves, so we just. We, we tried to set up where we thought the most of the trails were coming through, crossing that slough, going to a, an old bean field. But uh, the two big deer we saw, one was 227 yards and one of them was 425 yards, but they were really, really pure, mature bucks. And it was great to see them. We didn't have anything come close, but we did see, I don't know, I guess we saw close to 20 does and spikes yeah. i saw that footage jordan got of those uh those deer swimming across the water yeah they that swam was, across yeah, the old river really cool. old, little slew there headed for that bean field yeah what about the thing and we talked about it last week but i think we all saw the result the results of it just the amount the the way the deer are hitting those food plots it's early it's really impressive well the brassica uh mainly brassica formulations uh, with different brassicas uh, that we have tested. And we planted them about, what, five weeks ago or something like that. Well, well y'all were in Montana. Yeah. yeah, and got a rain, y'all did, right after you planted them. Mm-hmm. And I, I just cannot get over that they are over a foot tall, some of them. And normally, those type of food plots, you get it gets really cold and get get a good frost. And the sugars come up, and the deer just go. That's when they really start feeding on them. But it's been hot, and it's, summer's gone through this hot summer, and everything's real crusty. And I'm telling you, the deer are wearing it out. Yeah. Uh, but once again, when you got a long, narrow food plot, all the deer seem to be at the other end. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's been funny, and it's been cool to see, you know, because we, we've never had food plots like this this early. While we've been at Cottonmouth, mm-hmm. me and Brad have had a blast. You know, you see those does, bucks, all of them, and they're just tearing those leaves well, out of the ground. In, and- in the south, I used to have a policy on my farm that I would not plant anything until we had 51 degrees. Uh, on a continual basis for a while because the army worms are so bad. So there's a product now that you can spray, and I think it lasts about 20 or so days. Mm-hmm. But when that, when there's nothing pretty and green and tender in the woods and you plant a food plot, the army worms come in and they are like an army. They will march, march across that field and eat everything green in sight. And then the plant can no longer photosynthesize, so the, the roots die. And the plant, so you got to replant it. So we were we sprayed as soon as it came up. Yeah. We sprayed this stuff to give it a jump to keep the army worms off of it. Otherwise, you got to check it every day. Army worms can be there one day 
and you don't know it, and you come back the next day, and the field's gone. Oh, they can wipe it out. Yeah, we were, that's one thing we were scared to death about because we put in. I'm sure we told y'all. I mean, we, me and Jordan, planned it into the night that time. We put in some work trying to get those in, but it. it that's because off. that's because you saw the the, the rain coming. Yeah, yeah, we knew that rain was coming. We tried get it to get while you can. Around. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's definitely paid off, and then it paid off for me and Brad yesterday evening. Brad shot that incredible big six point. Let's don't talk about that six point. Let's talk about the dough that he missed. <laughs> That was funny. <laughs> you know, when the deer was when it's that quiet, yesterday was extremely still. So may, maybe a four-mile-an-hour wind, mm-hmm. if you can't even hardly detect it. And uh, so when when you shoot, that bow going off, just that, boom, that twang of, of the bow, they, I, they'll, they'll, they will react to that sound to get away because they, they're scared of something slightly above them, and it's a sound they don't expect. And they duck, mm-hmm. even with a recurve or yeah. a longbow. I've had them duck like crazy. So Brad aimed a little low, thinking the doe would duck into it. She didn't move. And the, the, thing, the thing is, I've seen him. I know you. I've seen him do that. I don't know how many times. It, it's almost no, almost no fail. Usually they fall right into it, but that deer, it went right. And the funny thing was, is uh, this too is there was a we were we had shot that buck and we were you know we'd seen him run off. We knew the shot was good, but we were just giving him a few minutes, kind of getting our stuff together. And this doe comes in. This the one that he eventually missed. She kept looking past us behind our stand and I kind of ease my head around and look and there's a buck coming a, sh- a, a nice four-year-old eight point and he was actually standing next to that doe when he shot and missed her and that's just another testament to those food plots you know to how- let me talk about th- that's one great thing about having a lease like we have here and being able to manage the herd and choose what we're going to shoot and not shoot the three and a half year olds but understanding how to judge a deer you don't look at his horns you look at his body and it's so typical of a year and a half, two and a half, three and a half year old deer. And you learn to age a deer according to where you hunt, what state, because mm-hmm. they're all a little bit different and the times of year are a little bit different. But I'm telling you what, the one thing I like more than any other thing, well, I like a lot of things, but the Quality Deer Management Association Magazine has a section in there, every, every, every publication, where they teach you how to judge an aged deer. Mm-hmm. And they do it from different parts of the country, whether it be New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Iowa, Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, whatever it is. And it's, it's, it's taught us so much and helped improve our ability to manage a herd and to make those choices. Right. So now we are seeing more and more and more great four and a half, five and a half, six and a half year old deer. And, and I never, you know, I grew up, the, when I was a kid, the the, the people that, and I, mean, I think that was kind of, you know, it was a lot before the, the, the education that we have now through QDMA and stuff like that. The, the attitude was a lot more the whole it's brown, it's down kind of thing. You didn't, there was no, he's a four-year-old eight-point, he's a two-year-old eight-point, there was a, he's a 16-inch wide eight-point, you know, he's a 10-point, is this, that, and the other. And I, I didn't really get into it as deeply um, about the whole age and understand it until I started working with y'all and hunting out here and you just have such a better i think you just it's a better appreciation for yeah, the animal you even you even age does yeah oh absolutely and, and and looking at them and make making your choices based on that i will talk also about qdma they've got some of the greats cutting edge research on different food plots different types of uh, of plantings that you can do when to do them how to do them but also another magazine that's great about that is gamekeeper mm-hmm. and uh Bobby Cole, the gamekeeper, and his team there. I mean, gosh, 
you learn so much and you learn what other people have figured out how to do, especially for people who are on a strict, low budget that don't want to spend a lot of money, don't have big equipment, and, and want to put in the time to make a good food plot. Mm-hmm. And there's ways to do that. Oh, and those, those two publications, yeah. Gamekeeper and QDMA, are great at that. Yeah. And that, you're absolutely right, too, because I think a lot of people, like you said, almost get intimidated by it. They think they have to have big tractors and yeah. a, a, you know, a huge piece of land. And, and you can. there are ways ways to do it. I have a, I have a very good friend that, that talked about finding, you know, managing a property. And it, I mean, I think it's just, it's just over a hundred acres. And the way he did it was just being in good communication with his neighbors and saying, Hey, let's all get on the same page here. Let's try to shoot these older deer and pass on the younger ones and that kind of thing. And it, I mean, it, there's, like you said, there's, there's ways to do it. And it's, it's, it's so rewarding, I think. Well, one of the main things I learned about judging deer used to, I looked at the rack and you'd go, ah, oh, that's probably mm-hmm. whatever. But you don't. You look at the body. But every once in a while here, we will see a three and a half year old that will scare you. He looks so nice. Oh, yeah. And there was there's one, and I think he was four and a half last year, and and, and we nicknamed him Rocker. Mm-hmm. And he is an exceptional deer. Oh, he's huge. So we made the decision that if he gave somebody an opportunity to shoot with a bow, we were going to go ahead and try to kill him, but not with a gun. So when we got the guns out a couple of times, he did show up, but we passed him up. And this year, we think he's five and a half. He's big. He's big. He's Very a twelve. Big. He's a six by six. He's a twelve boy. Very big. Beautiful. And that, it's just kind of one of those things, too. And it's just so you feel like you did something right. You know, when you you let him and you say you can kind of look back and you, yeah, we did the right yeah. thing. Because everybody doesn't have to hunt big deer. No. And hunt old deer. But if that's what you're doing and you're doing that as a team, that's great. But. If we bring somebody here who's never killed a deer, young person, old person, whatever, and let them enjoy it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's all about landowner goals and enjoying the hunt. That's sure. exactly right. Well put. For sure. So we actually had uh, a few people sending questions, you know, kind of relating it, that you know, that's something that we did last week and it worked really well. And so we can go over some of those things with you if that's okay. One of the questions that we got sent in, uh, I think that was a, an interesting one, is a guy named Parker, he sent it in, he said, what is the minimum height needed to get out of sight for a whitetail? <laughs> I thought you would like that question. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, thought, I saw well, that, I said, I definitely If you hunt in one. Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana, probably 100 feet. 100 feet. Because <laughs> sometimes they learn to walk around looking up. Here's the deal. No matter how high you get, plan your setup with cover absolutely behind you especially don't get silhouetted and look i haven't been wearing a face mask the past few years it, it just your face stands out and shines and those deer will learn to look at your eyes like yesterday we had some deer really really close to us up in arkansas and i would have my hand in front of my face my hand i did not have on a glove it was warm and i had my hand in front of my face and i would close my eyes and barely opened my left eye to see if that deer was still looking my way. <laughs> it's amazing that how well they can find you. So, yeah. you, you you know, we like to be a minimum of 21 feet for where our feet are hunting here. But I'm telling you, if you don't have back cover and you don't have something in front of you, we've hunted little trees with vines and we'll pull the vines around and tie them in front of us. You and I did that a mm-hmm. couple of years ago here. Yeah. Just to get a breakup of our outline, anything. Me and Brad last year, it was... Um it was towards the end, I think it was around the 1st of January, you know, after all the leaves had fallen and everything. 
we got some some sticks and stuff and went up to sit and tied them up in the stands just some limbs just to break us up because we were in a, I mean we were plenty high but like you said we had no cover and, and just down like you said down here in the south that's that's just so how you go about setting up your stand so that you've got cover back cover and front cover can get into the stand pull your bow up and not make any noise that that is huge yesterday we went to a stand and to in order to set the camera down for Jordan to be able to pull the camera up, I was going to have to walk about six feet on top of dry, dry cottonwood leaves. And I looked at Jordan and went, no. <laughs> and so I said, I'll just bring you the camera. So after Jordan got up, it was we had a ladder there. Uh, we were having a ladder stand. So I just climbed the ladder with the camera and gave it to him and went back right. down and got my boat. Because yeah. I think a reason, too, that why, a good reason for doing that is like this time of year when you're hunting a food plot they're coming to a food source chances of the deer not being far away when they're bedded is they could be 25 yards away 50 yards you know and so all that stomping through those leaves like you're talking about could be just enough for them to go i'm not going that way and every sound they they key into right and 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 a lot of times well i have seen a buck before we got up at a stand and saw him he's laying down about 75 yards Mm -hmm. from us looking our way and he had deer walk by him coming to the food plot. He never stood up. Mm-hmm. He knew. Oh yeah. How 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 were they protected? Stay put. Do not move. That's how they live. That's what I, we we stress this a lot. It, it, this is that's where they live, and they know when there's a sound that's not supposed to be, and they know yep. when the sound that's not natural. They I mean they can pick up on that so easy. And those mature bucks, you can forget. Well, it. let me Especially tell you how crazy I get. So I got up in that stand yesterday with Jordan. And, and we had made a little noise, and I said, I hate making this noise. His stand was not, it was crooked, and evidently the wind had blown or what had, what, and the hunt stand hadn't been hunted yet, so we had, it was a lock on behind the ladder stand, so we had to move it and pick it up and make a little noise, and there was some dry vines that had been cut in the leaves. So, you know, we were talking about, ah, I can't stand making this noise. Right. And I said, well, you, you think anything hurt us? And he just rolled his eyes. And I went, how about my ring, my wedding man, as I was climbing the ladder, I'd wrap my hand around and go, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. So I have been known to put black electrical tape around my wedding band <laughs> when I head out so that I won't make any noise. You do because what you gotta do. if you're going to spend this time and you enjoy it and you want to be successful, yeah. don't let them know you're there. And that takes me to the Polaris EV. Yeah. I'm telling you. I had a guy the other day tell me that he said, "Man, I got a I got a Polaris and EV, and it's just the batteries. It just it just won't go very far." I says, "Well, tell me how you taking care of it." He said, "What do you mean? I'm just taking it. Just charge it whenever I get ready to use it." I said, "Whenever you get ready to use it." So we talked about it's like any other piece of equipment. It's like a truck. If you don't put gas in it and you try to start it, it ain't gonna start. It ain't gonna go nowhere. So I told him, I said, "That's a few things to do." And if you will get a water, a what's called an autofill or profill battery system hooked up to your batteries on your EV, you can take that bottle of distilled water, stick a hose in it, and just pump up that hose, which is connected to the EV now, just like a, putting fuel in it, and you fill every battery perfectly. And you keep them filled, and you charge it on a 20-amp dedicated breaker. And it will do... It will. And you take care of it. Yeah. And you watch your terminals on your batteries, make sure they're tight, and make sure you treat them with an acid neutralizer and a terminal protector. Yeah, so they don't get corroded. Yeah, and little it. things like that. So 
we're hunting an EV and we are riding by deer yeah. that don't realize we're there until we're there. And some of them are laying down and we look in the woods and they're like 15 yards inside the woods and, and they have gotten their head down on the ground because they couldn't move away until we were so close. So their next way of protecting themselves is to hide. Just, so they, they, just putting their head down, yeah. trying to hide. We just ride on by. Because, yeah, I mean, because think about that too. I mean, you how far can that sound carry? And so those EVs are... They're priceless. They're priceless. Especially like a, a, a afternoon like yesterday when it was dead still. You know, we've had some days this week where it was windy where you kind of maybe had a little bit more playroom, but mm-hmm. yesterday it was so still. Every leaf crunch and any kind of, you know, so that EV is very, so very So being quiet when you're hunting deer, whether you're getting to the stand, no matter what you're doing, whatever you do, be consistent with it. That's for sure. Yeah, ain't no doubt. So let, let's move to another question. Um, and this one's, Kind of a weighty one. Uh, a guy he asked, "How how do you hunt a mature buck that he's ha- he's having trouble patterning?" He said, "How do you hunt a deer that you can't pattern? He's just coming in sporadic." That's that's yeah, a probably one. the best way. If he yeah, but obviously he knows about where he is. Right. So one year we had a deer. We knew about where he was. And this is this is his name. Actually, the deer's name was Eric. He got named for a friend of mine, Eric Zinzanko who was the first one to ever see him on the hoof. We had pictures of him, but nobody ever seen him. He's a big deer. He's a Boone and Crockett deer. And um, we set up cameras in the summer all around this area he lived in. We set them up on salt licks. We set them up on food plots. We set up on, on looking down roads. And on the roads, what we did was we set a time-lapse camera there. So it took a picture every 10 seconds. And then it, you can download that and it condenses it and you can watch the whole day in 10 like minutes. Like a video, right. Like a video. And we figured out where he was coming out of this big cutover, this big planted CRP field. Right. Where he was coming out and how he was moving into the area where the acorns were. And we, we used the cameras to do that. But if you can't figure out how to pattern him, you're just shooting in the dark. Yeah. You know, that's and we talked about that. Me and Troy and Jordan, we talked about it a little bit last week. You know, and it might be just an early season thing because sometimes they can be hard to figure out during the early season, mostly nocturnal and stuff. And our, our tip was my idea would be the same for that is let the cameras do majority of your hunting scouting for you, and don't don't even think about going in there unless your conditions are absolutely perfect. If you if you even approach it. If you're going to be hunting downwind, but you approach that area with the wind at your back, mm-hmm. you're done. Yeah. If he's far enough away and he smells you, he knows. When he smells you, he knows how far away you are, how intensity your odor is. He knows. That. Mm-hmm. And he's going to stay right there. He ain't going to move because he knows his safety is in not moving. Right. And he's, he's, yeah, and your chances of seeing him are gone. You've got to approach your hunting area with the wind in your favor. You can't let it blow through it. Right. So, okay, and here's another question. Uh, guys, how, and this, one's, this one can go either way too, how, how far do you think a buck will travel during the rut? Well, now they've got, QDMA has been great with that. Mm-hmm. They've got collared deer and they've shown how far some of them go. Some of them don't go that far. Mm-hmm. But I think it just depends on the individual deer. I don't know. The individual deer and whether a doe is about to be ready to breed and she's hot, getting hot, and she wants to walk somewhere, he's going to follow her wherever she goes. Right. He's going to try to stay behind her. I know it was, uh, Will Walker told me one time, it was, uh, this has been a couple of years ago, but he said, you know, he was hunting here at Cottonmouth, and he said he saw one buck, this was during a rut, all the way at the south end of the Africa part of Cottonmouth, 
and that was in the morning. And he hunted at the north end that evening, and he saw the same deer. Well, how far is that? That's a mile and a half? At least. But that ain't that far. No. But typically, it just depends on the, the rut, that time of year, how far they travel. Some deer, for some reason, stay one place in the summer and show up for the breeding season yeah. for the rut in another place. It's, it's, one, of, that's what I was, it's one of those things that's just, I, I can't ever figure it out. Like, it just seems You're not going to be, figure it out. It seems to be the individual deer to me. Like, there, there was a deer um, at, here at Cottonmouth, and we, we always get him. We haven't gotten him on camera this year, but every other year, we always get pictures of him in Africa in the early season. We called him Forky because he had splits going everywhere. He was a big deer, probably 170-inch type deer. And then we'd get him October, maybe early November, and then he'd vanish. And the first year, you know, we, we'd see that. We're like, did he get killed? What happened? But then he kept coming up every every year. But so, you know, it just, just depends on the deer. You just... Well, they they could travel a long way. They're wild critters. And they, and they can move oh, yeah. from one, one time of the year being summer to a, another area where they want to breed and carry on. And then mm-hmm. when that's over, they go back to that area they stayed all summer. Mm-hmm. What do you think about moon phases? We had a bunch of questions about moon phases, and that's something that we deal with here a lot. You know, my my deal when I used to work a whole lot more hours than I work now was if I could go and I had the time, because hunting meant more to me than just being successful mm-hmm. and hunting killing something. It was a peaceful, serenity, quiet time. It was my getaway. It was my, my de-stress and just sitting there, I'm a bird watcher, watching the birds, watching wildlife, just being there. Yeah. So I would, if I had a chance to go, I'd go. But I do believe that full moons versus not in different phases have a huge impact on the day. Oh, for sure. We've seen it first. Day or night, yeah. They can, they, they, I've seen them move in the daytime. And I checked the moon and went, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was, I think it was the first season um, that I was working with y'all. Me and Brad were hunting out here a lot, and I never got to hunt that consistently on a day to day basis. And that's when the first time I actually got to see it, you know, especially on, on one piece of property, how the deer reacted and how they reacted to a full moon versus not, like you're saying, was, it was incredible. It's kind of like, what do you, it's kind of, we put it as a, Especially if you're hunting one of your good spots, it's like you're putting pressure that you don't have to because the chances of seeing. I think you can create your eyes so by sad. hunting the favorable moons. I agree, but uh, I have seen big ones killed uh, when the moon was in the wrong place. Oh yeah, like we said, same deal with how they're going to move. They, they're wild critters; they can do whatever they want to do. Um, okay, so last question, and um, we'll put this one last. Someone asked a, an elk question. Uh, let's see. A uh, guy named Stephen. Stephen said next September, him and his friend are going to hunt on some national forest land in Colorado. Um, what's the best thing? What would you do to get ready? And what do they need to bring with them? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, it depends on whether you're going to have somebody, whether you're going to pack in, walk in with a pack on your back, whether you're going to access it each day from a trailhead, uh, whether you're going to have hire somebody with horses to get you in. So all that dictates what you need if you're going to stay overnight um if you're going to stay overnight there's a a big list yeah, of big things list. that you need to be able to stay comfortable and to be able to get good rest uh so i mean number one as far as being successful i would definitely i, I assume he's talking about bow hunting but mm-hmm. he may be talking about gun hunting if he's talking about bow hunting 
if you can, I would not start hunting until the 12th. Right. That is if you want to get into the best of the bugling, more intense bugling. Uh, it's going to, anytime after the 12th, it usually starts getting on pretty good. Uh, but if, uh, if you're, if you're rifle hunting, uh, if you're, if, if back up, if you, if you're going to go earlier than the 12th, water holes, if it's hot, can be good. Wallace can be good, but you've got to pay attention to the wind. All sad stories about elk are about the wind. So taking a wind checker and if you're going to hunt water holes and if you're going to hunt wallas, you know, being still, the ozonics systems is absolutely incredible. Oh, for sure. Ozone has been around since God created the earth. Uh, it's, it's, it's O3. It's very unstable and it will attach itself to any odor molecule. And if you set it up correctly and your odor stream goes through a curtain of ozone, so if you climb a tree next to a walla and you take an ozone unit and you put it so that you're downwind side, your, your odor is going through that stream, you can help yourself tremendously get away with odor yeah. problems. But uh, you're going to need to do some homework if you're going to go to a national forest, if you're going to go to a place that you can access to, to be able to bow hunt or gun hunt and start figuring out that there's plenty of other websites and plenty of professionals out there that have got lists that do it a lot and they've got great tips for little portable stoves uh mats to sleep on not the infl- i don't like the inflatable ones because if you punch a hole in it you're right. done that one you let me use for that sheep hunt was perfect that one you yeah. had uh, a sleeping bag to check your temperatures understand what you're getting into because if you get far back in there and you have an early so- snowstorm we had an early snowstorm above 6,500 feet in montana this year and i'm gonna tell you what if i if i had packed into that area and was not prepared for that, I'd have, we'd have been in trouble. It's bad. Yeah, there's a lot to think about. Oh so yeah. For with sure. this question, I can't cover it all the yeah. time we got. Well, there's a lot to think about. One thing I know uh, that one thing that popped into my head first, and I know you'll agree with this because you're the one that taught me how to do it, is one thing I liked. He said him and his friend are going. So one thing that I would say is he needs to go ahead and be prepared. If I'm assuming they're bow hunting, is go ahead and prepare to hunt one at a time, and the other one be back calling. If you will back up anywhere from 75 to 150 yards, once you once you make contact with a nail, get the wind right, get it in your favor, and then back up watching where the shooter is and back up so that that elk will come by 15 to 25 yards broadside, it works like a charm. We did it. You did it for me this year, and I did it for you. We both killed great elk, but that's how we did it. It was fun, too. It was fun. So that's, that's all the questions we had today. So we'll take it back to... Cottonmouth here for a little bit. I know I'm excited for the rest of the year. I know you're excited for the rest of the year. Um, I think the next time that we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll keep going week to week, but I know we've got some more early season deer patterns to deal with for a little while until it gets, you know, we've got November coming up. It usually slows down, and then December it'll be rut time. Um, so it's exciting. I'm excited. It is. It's, uh, I know the, the, the cold weather was, the cooler weather was nice, and, uh, we're about to have to start getting ready here in a little bit to go out ready this afternoon. That's right. Everybody out there bow hunting, I'm telling you, um, I am a fan of Rage Broadheads. Yes, they sponsor the TV show. Um, I'm so thankful they do. But that rear deploy head, it flies like your field tips. It is so great. And Brad Ferris, uh, I haven't shot uh, a deer this year yet, but Brad wanted to try the new tripan, which mm-hmm. is a titanium head, real thick blades, but it's a little two inch, two two inch plus cut, 
And uh, y'all shot, he shot that buck yesterday with that. Oh my goodness. 220 pound deer. I mean, anything in a, used to, I grew up shooting two blade heads. I grew up shooting Howard Hill, Fred Bear heads, Zwicky heads. Right. Out of my recurves and longbows. And a little small inch, inch and an eighth, inch and sixteenth is a slice. And they're not going to, you're not going to have a blood trail until you, the deer are bleeding out of the nose. Right. If you, if you shoot them in the lungs, which is where you're supposed to shoot them, right broadside between both lungs. But with a rage, anything over an inch and a half. So on elk, we're using plus P. Plus it's an eight. inch and a half. Two inches is too wide to penetrate like you want it on an elk or a big animal. Mm-hmm. In Africa, I used the inch and a half, and it was fantastic. Elk, it's the only head to use. Inch and a half rage. Oh, yeah. White tails, the rage, two inch, uh, hypodermic, mm-hmm. or the, the, the tripan. The tripan impressed me yesterday. Oh, my gosh. Those are some, some great heads. That's what, I, not even on this. I, you know, I'll be talking to my, my buddies and stuff, and they'll they'll get aggravated with me sometimes. Like, you just say that because y'all are sponsored. I'm like, look, no. I'm just, I'm telling Here's you. the big deal. Do not forget the importance of, of an, a broadhead-tipped arrow, be it a, a expandable or not, flying identical to what you've practiced right. with in your field tips. And that's what a rage starts. That's the number one advantage that you want to start with with any broadhead. Then you want one when it hits that it deploys and doesn't deflect. Absolutely. that's what, there, There's something to be said about a broadhead that when you put it on the arrow, you have... 100% confidence in it. And that's what you, because I told, I, I said this before earlier in an earlier podcast when, when I was trying to get ready for that elk hunt, I took a rage broadhead and I shot it out the range just, just for a confidence builder. And I shot it at 60 yards. Did and you I, shoot a real head yeah, in my actually, target? No, you didn't. Uh, <laughs> I told you not shoot no broadheads in my target. <laughs> but, caught you. But it was at 60 yards. Identical, yeah, perfect. And there's, 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 you can't replace that, especially and with the performance it gives you too. And that's why I always tell my buddies, I promise you, it has nothing to do. I was shooting rage before I worked here. Last year, not this year, but last year we killed eleven elk. The Primos team killed eleven elk with a rage inch and a half plus P broadhead, and every one of them, but one, fell within sight. Mm-hmm. That is how incredible it is now. Somebody told me one day, says, well, look, I, I shot one. I shot him bad. Uh, I, I said, where'd you hit him? He said, I'm not really sure. You have a lot of blood? Not a whole lot. Yeah. I said, well, look. And he wanted to blame it on a broadhead. I said, you cannot blame that on a broadhead. I don't care. Yeah. But if you shoot one bad, I'd rather shoot one bad with a, with a rage than I would with any other head. For sure. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. There's just I've seen it work far too many times. Well, anyhow, I think yeah, we got we got too much stuff to do. I wish we had more time to talk, but uh, we got we got to get going. We're about to have to start getting ready to go out hunting this afternoon. So, Will, thank you for your time. Uh, You're welcome. By the way, I've got you some lunch over there at my house. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, yeah, we're gonna sign this off right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, thank y'all for sending in your questions. I uh, hope y'all enjoyed this. We're about to head out, and get ready. Well, I think I'm gonna eat some lunch first, and then we're gonna get out ready to go hunting. But as always, thank you for listening to the Speak the Language podcast. Thank you, everybody.